next time for another episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It is Monster Kid Radio. It is episode number 489, and I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show this week. We are kicking off this episode with a song from the band Jet Jaguars. They're a surf band based out of Milan, Italy. They're awesome. They gave us permission to play their music here on the show. This song is called Downshifting. It's from their release, Death Chase, that came out this summer in July. You can check them out at jetjaguars.bandcamp.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can check out the entire album. Maybe even pick it up for yourself when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. And of course, I'll be playing this song again in its entirety at the end of the show. So this week, the band is called Jet Jaguars, and I specifically wanted to play their music this week because the movie we're highlighting features Jet Jaguar. Punch, punch, punch! I love Jet Jaguar. I love this movie. Godzilla vs. Megalon. It comes from the 70s, so we're stepping a little outside the box, and I'm okay with that because this is a Godzilla movie. Godzilla's always going to have a home here on Monster Kid Radio. Yes, even Godzilla Final Wars. Anyway, this week, Godzilla vs. Megalon with our resident kaiju expert. He's been on the show the most when we talk about kaiju films. It's Anthony Wendell. Anthony and I are going to talk about this movie, the impact it had, all the weirdness surrounding it, all the weirdness in it. It's going to be a good time. And of course, he and I are going to play a round of the Classic Five as well. We're going to catch up a little bit, find out what he's been up to, where you can read his writing these days, all of that. So that's coming up in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. And because I need a little bit more tokusatsu in my life, did I pronounce that right? Tokusatsu? Takasatsu? I need some more Japanese science fiction. And Mark Madsky is going to fit the bill with another Beta Capsule review about an episode of Ultra Q. I'm loving these segments that he sends in. They're fun, and they do everything they need to do. Mark Madsky, you're the man. Also, Dr. Tong is back in this episode, and of course, Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland is coming up as well, and it's a good one, as if I need to tell you that. We also have some listener feedback. There's a lot to get to in this episode. It is a Jet Jaguar-sized episode, so punch, punch, punch! How much Jack do you think's in that strong rock? Mm. There's plenty of Cuban sugar, though. Here's what happened. The general beat his friend Castro to the Cuban treasury. The strong box is now on this boat. So are a deported American gangster and his mall. And lurking in the depths is the creature from the haunted sea. You're a crazy mixed-up kid. I am perfectly adjusted to my life of crime. Don't worry, Mary Bell. I'll save you. Beware. The creature from the haunted sea. From beyond the stars come the most fearsome monsters in the galaxy. Only Godzilla stands in their way in... 
Godzilla on Monster Island. Is even Godzilla strong enough to defeat the invaders? Matching unbelievable strength. Exchanging incredible net daily rays. Don't miss Godzilla on Monster Island. Rated G. Atragon, the ninth wonder of the world. Atragon, an earth mover. A flying fortress. A submarine. Atragon, technology's newest, fights all the powers of black magic. The mysterious submerged continent of Mu attacks our world. I am agent number 23 of the Mu Empire. This earthquake is not accidental. Terror panics civilization. As cataclysmic forces clash, Atragon in color. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, it's time for Dr. Tongue's 3D House of Vintage Monster Collectibles! Hello, my monster-loving brethren, and welcome back to another episode of Vintage Monster Goodness. You can only get right here on MKR. We're going to continue our time travel trip down the cereal aisle of yore and focus in on yet another super sugar crisp monster goodie from the 1970s. If you tuned in last time, and I sure hope you did, I hopefully brought back some memories, kicking and screaming mind you, out of that old brain of yours about glow-in-the-dark monster posters that Post had inserted into choice boxes of super sugar crisp way back in 1975. Can't get enough of that sugar crisp. This time around, we're fast forwarding from the last segment, 1975. Come on, keep up. To good old 1976. It was the bicentennial of our country, 200 years and going strong then. Nadia Komanichi wins three gold medals at the Summer Olympics, scoring the first ever perfect 10 in gymnastics. NASA lands the Viking space lander on Mars. The Damned release New Rose, making punk rock a viable commodity. Howard Hughes passes away. The Concorde starts commercial transatlantic flights. And Super Sugar Crisp puts glow-in-the-dark mini-monster finger puppet heads into their boxes. Wait, what? What was that last thing on the list? Yeah, you heard me right. In boxes of Super Sugar Crisp cereal, just a year after the groundbreaking, well, I feel that it was glow-in-the-dark posters, they topped themselves by inserting small glow-in-the-dark finger puppet monster head prices in specially marked boxes. So once again, Post Serial scratched my little monster kid itch by making me one of my very own little monster heads to play with. Well, not just for me, but you get the idea. These little fellows were pretty cool, even by today's high-tech standards. They're about one and a half inches tall and are made of mold-injected glow-in-the-dark plastic, think basically a head off of a model kit and you get the idea. And speaking of model kits, these were produced by the Aurora Plastics Corporation for Post. Yes, the Aurora Model Company. Stamped right on them. There were a total of four different ones. Frankenstein's Monster, a good old-fashioned Chorus Mummy, Phantom of the Opera, and The Wolfman. You just put your little finger in the bottom of the head and Bob's your uncle, a good old-fashioned finger puppet. 
Now, it is thought that Aurora just molded up the heads from their hugely popular monster model kits. But, nope. Side-by-side -side comparisons of each head shows that they are similar sculpts. Duh, they're the same monsters. But wholly different source material. The majority, and I would say 99.9% .9 of the heads out there, are molded up in glow-in-the-dark green plastic. Some individual pieces have popped up over the years in different colors, mainly yellow. It is thought that they were mold test pieces, or what I like to call cleaning pieces. Mold injection plants would use yellow colored plastic as mold cleaners in between production runs to get all the goop out of the molds. These little puppies can be found out there on the collector's market, but as most monster collectibles, prices have been steadily climbing in recent years. But the molds have not been found, and they're not making any more of them, so get out there and get them while you can. Well, that's it for this time, kitties. Tune in next time when the doctor reaches into his creaky chest of monstrous goodness and tells us another tale from... Dr. Tongue's 3D House of Vintage Monster Collectibles! Until then, happy collecting. Sleep tight. hits. Here are the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror, a monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein conquers the world. Stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein, incarnate, with the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before. See Frankenstein Conquers the World, astounding on the giant screen, also on the same program. Tarzan, man of the jungle, with only a lion, a leopard, and a chimp as his army, can they conquer the hired killers of the dealer in death? Cy Weintraub presents Tarzan and the Valley of Gold. With Mike Henry and Nancy Kovac in Panavision and Color from American International Pictures. Out from the coldest and darkest regions of the sea, as old as time itself, comes the most terrifying monster the world has ever seen. The Creature! Slithering over the face of the earth came a monster from beyond the stars. Inhuman, indestructible. Life on this planet was doomed when it conquered the world! These will be the strangest, most terrifying motion pictures you have ever seen. You will see monsters from a nightmare. The most horrifying creatures that ever made you wake up screaming. Ah! The She-Creatures! And it conquered the world! I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, 
plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Here in the feedback section of the show, we had some emails come in, actually a couple of emails and then a message on Facebook. Let me fire up the monster in the machine and we'll go through them. Howdy, Mr. Cook. I hope this autumn season finds you well. I discovered your podcast earlier this summer and I've had a great time binge listening to them when I'm at work or doing the dishes or just whenever. So first, let me thank you for doing such great work putting together a fun and informative podcast. The selection of music, interviews, and especially the antique movie trailer clips are great fun and leagues ahead of the many two-bit podcasts out there that are little more than a few hipsters killing time around a microphone for an hour. You clearly have passion for the monster movie genre and it shows. I'll be sure to send in a vote for you at the next Rondo Awards. I heard on some of your more recent episodes that you were looking at the possibility of doing an episode or two on Scooby-Doo, which made my ears perk up. I'd like to ask if you specifically have ever seen the 1988 classic, Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School. It's as cheesy and low-budget as most Hanna-Barbera films were from that decade, but recently it's enjoyed an unusual rise into cult following on some corners of the internet. I don't know if you're interested in knowing more or not since monster-themed cartoons are a little bit outside MKR's usual purview. But if you're still figuring out which Scooby movies you're looking to analyze on your podcast, I'd humbly submit Ghoul School for your consideration. All the best, and happy Halloween. From Ben R. Ben, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate it. I actually truncated his email. There were a few other things in there that I'm going to follow up with you personally about. But to address what you said about Scooby-Doo, I haven't talked about it here on the show in a little while, but I really do want to do something with Scooby-Doo here on the show. I just haven't decided what format I want to do Scooby-Doo in. Do I want to just do random episodes the way I do some of the Godzilla films? Do I want to do a separate month of Scooby-Doo the way that I do the Luchador films? Or do we want to do its own thing, a special, maybe not a separate feed, but special little episodes about Scooby-Doo? I don't know. But I will be doing Scooby-Doo, and I'll make sure that you're on the list of people that I contact when we start talking about Scooby-Doo. Steve Durek is one of those guys that I want to have on the show as well, and I'm sure there's some other Scooby-Doo fans out there that I can bring in too. So if anybody's got any ideas on how to structure Scooby-Doo coverage here on Monster Kid Radio, I'm all ears. You can email me or give me a call, and I'll have the monsters in the machine give you that contact information here in a moment. Uh, Again, Ben, you sent me a lot of other information that I want to follow up with you personally, so within the next few days, I'll be dropping you an email. Thanks for what you said about the show. I really appreciate it. You know, this is a labor of love for me because I love the labor that I put into it. That sounded really weird. Bottom line is I really enjoy these movies. This is a subgenre, a genre, a cycle of films, whatever you want to call it. These are the movies that make me happy. I find them comforting. I find them thrilling. These are the ones that just fulfill me. So to be able to share this excitement and enthusiasm and love for these movies with others, 
that is just icing on the cake. So I'm so glad you found the show. I hope you enjoy what you hear when you go back to some of the older episodes when I was still kind of working out all the kinks. Welcome to the Monster Kid Radio head family, Monster Kid Radio family. I, I don't know what we call ourselves, <laughs> but welcome to the club, man. I just finished the Vault of Horror episode. What an amazing piece of work you created. The Amicus films are a staple for us during the weeks leading up to October, and you certainly did it justice. You mentioned a novelization of it, and I actually have it. Full disclosure, I haven't read it because I'm nervous the pages are going to peel off the binding, but here it is. Thank you again for the awesome show. My son and I are big fans on the way to daycare and work. From Tyler R. The Amicus films, these are films that sometimes fall outside of the wheelhouse for Monster Kid Radio 2. And I know I keep bringing it up, 1968 being the soft cutoff. But you know what? These movies, if they really have that Monster Kid sensibility, man, they're timeless. And the Amicus films, especially the anthology Amicus films, they are something special. I would love to read some of these uh, novelizations of the anthologies, but yeah, I would also be very worried about damaging what could potentially be a collector's item. If you ever do get around to reading it, I'd love to hear all about it. Maybe give us a call or send another email. Tyler did also include a picture of the novel in the message that he sent me, and it looks cool, man. It looks cool. And you listen to the show on the way to daycare. You didn't really specify. Are you dropping your kid off at daycare listening to the show? Because if so... I hope your son enjoys the show as much as you do. Thanks again for writing in. Now, we also got another message here. I'm going to fire up a different monster in the machine for this one. Hold on. Here we go. Congratulations on another great episode. Having one of my favorite authors talking to one of my favorite podcasters, I was in total fangirl heaven. From Tammy A. Tammy's also one of our patrons over at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. Tammy, thank you for all of your support. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. I said this before. I'm going to say it again. I completely stumbled into the David Scal interview. Justin Jallo is the one that made that happen. So Justin, on behalf of Tammy and everybody else who enjoyed the interview that I had with David J. Scal. Thank you. Now, David Scal and I are friends on Facebook, so I get to see all the announcements that he posts, and he shared some pretty awesome news. Let me see if I can find that for you real quick. He's been doing a virtual book tour for the Fright Favorites book, which, link in the show notes, Amazon affiliate, y'all know how it works. Anyway, he's been doing a virtual book tour, and on October 2nd, he is teaming up with Turner Classic Movie host Dave Carger to introduce and discuss a full evening of films selected from the book itself, including Dracula, Cat People, House on Haunted Hill, and The Haunting. They recorded some intros for all of the films. It's going to be showing on Turner Classic Movies down the line. And yeah, I'm still hoping to have him on the show again. Tammy, thank you for writing in. Thanks for calling me one of your favorites. <laughs> so if you want to get a hold of Monster Kid Radio or send any feedback in about this episode or any of the previous 480 plus episodes, oh my goodness. If you want to contact us, I'm going to let the monsters in the machine let you know how to do it. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503 810 5657 MKR. Or you can send an email to the podcast. Monsterkidradio at gmail.com is the email address. That's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. 
mystery fans, hold on to your ghosts, because here come the spookiest, most spine-tingling tales ever to chill a bone. Delight and fright, shiver and shake, quiver and quake. Watch Scooby-Doo, where are you? Our planet may be doomed, our Earth devastated, the monsters are in revolt, and civilization is in chaos. Godzilla is laying waste to New York, Rodan is attacking Moscow, Manda is smashing London, and Peking trembles under the wrath of Mafra. Our battle cry must be, destroy all monsters. Monster, monster. Who can say which country or city will be next? We must unite and destroy all monsters. Is there a way to defend against Godzilla, Rodan, Manda, and Mothra? The answer is no. Let our battle cry be, destroy all monsters. Be prepared. See for yourself, in color from American International. Destroy all monsters. Monster. 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 This picture is rated G for general audiences. Destroy all monsters. Monster. 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 Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Episode 3 of Subaraya Productions Ultra Q, entitled The Gift from Space, debuted January 16, 1966. During a routine flight, June and Yuriko witness a space capsule splashing down in the ocean. The Space Explorations Bureau identifies it as an unmanned craft that had been sent to Mars. Whatever sent it back enclosed pictures of the surface of Mars and two mysterious gold spheres. When the spheres are stolen by a safecracker, one of them is lost in June's office. The other, taken to the thief's hideaway, rolls into a pool of hot spring water. The heat activates the sphere, which grows exponentially, and from which hatches a giant Martian slug, firing paralyzing beams from its eyes. The creature plunges off a cliff and dissolves in the salt water of the ocean. But what about the other sphere, which was found by Ipe and given to Yuriko as a present? The Gift from Space introduces the recurring character Dr. Ichinotani, played by Ureo Agawa, a thoughtful and heroic scientist who serves as a mentor to our three leads. The episode also marked the appearance of memorable monster Namagon, named after the Japanese word for slug, Namakuji, who shares a vocal roar with Baragon, the subterranean monster introduced one year prior in Toho Studios' Frankenstein Conquers the World. Speaking of Toho, a familiar face in Episode 3 is character actor Jun Tazaki, who played memorable roles in Frankenstein Conquers the World, Destroy All Monsters, Invasion of Astro Monster, War of the Gargantuas, and who starred as Captain Hachiro Jinguji in Atragon. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Reviews, this is Mark Matsky reporting. giant monster films, The War of the Gargantuas and Monster Zero. See the two mighty Gargantuas battle to the death. And on the same program, Rodan and Godzilla join forces to destroy the deadly Monster Zero. 
The War of the Gargantuas and Monster Zero, both in color, rated G, general audience from United Productions of America, a subsidiary of DEI Industries. The Smog Monster, spewing its poisonous venom over the earth. Only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil. Godzilla. See Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Two monsters battling for the domination of the earth. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. An American International Pictures release in color rated G. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. The battle for life on earth. A dark force awakens. Manos. God of primal darkness, as thou hast decreed, so have I done. The hands of fate have doomed this man. Thy will is done. And only one being in the world can stop it. Santa Claus Conquers Manos the Hands of Fate by Anthony Wendell. A comedy sequel for two of the worst movies ever made. Madam, it will be very dangerous to leave now. The master wants you. Santa has a little girl to save. I'll try, dear lady. He'll have to face a dark force to rescue her. And he'll need some help from a robot. Cord, come out of the spaceship. Santa Claus Conquers, Manos the Hands of Fate by Anthony Wendell is available on Amazon. Check it out for yourself. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, everybody! Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's movie, Godzilla vs. Megalon, was not featured in FM. But if you would like to see a comprehensive history of kaiju in Famous Monsters, check out my video on YouTube. There will be a link in the show notes. We are going to continue our look at films featured issue by issue with a look at issue 27. The first film featured was yet another article on King Kong. It was the second part of a detailed film book which started in issue 26. The only other movie featured was The Madman of Mandoras, which later was reworked into They Saved Hitler's Brain. The article was three pages long with five photos and consisted of a beginning to fiery end synopsis. It ended with this information on the film. David Bradley directed. In talking with him after the preview, I learned that this is the film previously announced in our pages as The Return of Mr. H and The Amazing Mr. H. The model of Hitler's head was fashioned with great care, Bradley said. In fact, it was created at a cost of $3,000. It seemed a pity to melt that expensive wax down into a worthless blob at the end, but it had to be done for the shock climax. An actual skull was imported from a foreign country, and the empty cranium and eye sockets stuffed with raw meat for the superimposed scene where the outer flesh of Hitler's head burned away. Heil Hitler, the hothead who in the end made an ash of himself. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. I'm a little disappointed that this movie didn't make Famous Monsters of Filmland because I imagine that Uncle Forey would have had something to say about Jet Jaguar. Punch, punch, punch! I mean, he was a monster kid. He did a lot for the monster genre, but really, if you think about it, 
a big part of his love went toward classic sci-fi, with Metropolis being his favorite film and all of that. So I would have loved to have gotten his feedback or his opinion on what Jet Jaguar looked like. You know? Punch, punch, punch! I will make sure there's a link in the show notes to the Kaiju Famous Monsters of Filmland video that Kenny mentioned. This is a collection of the videos that we ran during Kaiju Conline earlier this summer. Kenny, thanks again, man. In the diabolical minds of the madman of Bandorus was created the most incredible plot ever conceived to conquer the world. Why did you bring us here, really? In a matter of hours, we will begin the conquest of the world. Phil Day, undercover agent, trapped in the trap he set for the madman of Mandoras. <laughs> Professor Coleman, American scientist, believed his staggering discovery to be a secret. Up to now, anthropine was the only known antidote. The loss or destruction of the formula for this antidote would mean complete annihilation of the world. But he did not reckon with a group of evil men, men who will permit nothing to stop their rule of the world. What unknown force has been created to conquer the world? And which of the madmen pushed the panic button? Somebody's got to get Vorak. I guess it's up to me, Casey. Godzilla's Revenge. In this quiet setting, a tale of prehistoric horror is about to unfold with a science-battling awakening of long-gone giants. Fighting amongst each other for the conquest of our planet. See the giant spiders spin their web of fear around their enemies. Godzilla's revenge knows no limit. No end. No stopping. See man's last attempt at saving humanity from destruction. And Godzilla's revenge. on the same shot build program, Island of the Burning Dam. What is that strange noise and burning white heat that drove people to their death? I have been convinced that this island has become the center of an invasion, the central landing point for beings from another planet. What happens when an unknown power from outer space uses our radar signals as life-saving beacons to bring it to Earth to consume our energy? Island of the Burning Damned, an island desperate for help. 
This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Listeners, we've got women in the background as background dancers. We've got John Belushi. We have a kid who designed a monster. We have pretty much the only, or for a long time, the only Godzilla movie to actually receive a release on television here in the States. We've got so many weird things that go into this film. And we're going to talk about it with somebody who writes books called Santa Claus Conquers Manos, The Hands of Fate. What an absurd lead up to all of this. Anthony Wendell, how you doing, man? Uh, hold, hold on, Derek. I've got, I've got a call. I'm, I'm finishing a call with uh, Space Hunter Nebula M. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and it's how much to rent guy again? Uh, what? That's highway robbery. Oh, oh, I'll have you know, I have a lovely couple in Japan willing to let me borrow a size-changing robot for half that price. Uh-huh. Oh, well, same to you, buddy. Jerk. <laughs> you don't want to upset them, man. I saw the movie. I know what they can do. Like I said, I have a size-changing robot from a lovely couple in Japan on <laughs> deposit. We'll be fine. Okay, okay. All right, good, good. <laughs> I didn't even mention the physics-breaking weird jump kick thing that Godzilla does in this movie when I talked about all the absurdities here. Oh, oh man! They, oh, so much absurdities! So much absurdities! But you know, I mean, I'm giggling the whole time. So anyway, it's fun. Yeah, it is. It is. It's been a little while since we've had Yon. What you've been up to, man? Other than upsetting people that you know have access to Megalon. <laughs> well, just been trying to get some writing done. Got some articles going. Still pegging away over at Monkeys Fighting Robots or Pop Axiom, and working on getting some new stuff submitted. With uh, Corona Apocalypse going on right now, unfortunately, a lot of uh, publishers are slower to get back to you, so it becomes a waiting game. Yeah, I understand, man. I understand a lot of things are just moving a lot slower these days. And up here in the Pacific Northwest, listeners, if I sound a little bit more congested than normal, it's because I'm living through a probably the worst air quality I've l- ever lived through in my life. Yeah, it's just a time, man. Luckily, we can talk about giant monsters uh, destroying the city to help alleviate... Uh, <laughs> wait, this is a alleviation? Oh, wow. With how smoky things are up here, maybe we should be talking about Godzilla versus Hedera, but uh, overall, <laughs> we're going to talk no, about... we're talking instead about uh, Godzilla versus Megalon. That's right. Probably the most infamous film in the genre, in the franchise, or at least polarizing. I mean, people either love or hate this film. It's pretty well known, I feel like, and, and not necessarily because of Megalon, but because of Jet Jaguar and MST3K for my generation really hyped that up. But before that, you know, I mentioned John Belushi. This had a TV premiere and they made a big deal out of it. Oh, yeah. I actually tried to look for those. Uh, now, unfortunately, the actual bumpers with John Belushi in a Godzilla suit as he's showing this edited version because they shoved it down to being an hour. They gave it an hour block and they showed the film with John Belushi doing the commercial bumpers in a Godzilla suit. That doesn't exist, or at least has been lost. Now, if you do Google it, they do have a skit where 
Belushi's in the Godzilla suit being interviewed by Gilda Radner as she plays Barbara Walters. Very amusing, but the actual bumpers as he's posting the actual film, they're gone. I was going to ask you about that because I did go looking for it. And, you know, I've heard about the Belushi footage. I think he's been mentioned at G-Fan and some of the Facebook groups that I'm in. Uh, I was going to ask if you had any leads on it, but it is it is missing. It's never been recovered. Unfortunately. That's too bad. For right now. That's too bad. Well, listeners, if anybody has a lead on it, if, if you know something that we don't, let us know. But that's too bad. Um, I did see the clip of Belushi in the Godzilla suit. It was fun, you know, to see some classic SNL comedy. It wasn't necessarily SNL, was it? Was it SNL? Yeah, it's still SNL. Okay. Yeah, to see, to see that. You know, classic SNL is always fun anyway. It's kind of neat to look back on. And John Belushi is somebody who uh, we lost too soon, but that's a whole different conversation. But yeah, I, I would have never put him and Godzilla together in my head, ever. <laughs> I don't know, sure, not sure how that happened, but okay. Yeah, this one did have a big TV deal. Uh, it was released here in the States. It had a very interesting movie poster uh, that the distributors were trying to play off of the, uh, I guess, notoriety or success of the 1970s King Kong movie by having Megalon and Godzilla face off on top of the World Trade Center towers, which is just kind of weird to look back on for a number of different reasons now. Just this movie's got so much weirdness wrapped up in it. But like you said, it's the one that was pretty much the most well-known for a long time. It's a turducken of weirdness, but at the same time, it's the weirdness that, you know, sometimes turns people off. I don't know those people. I don't keep those people in my life. I don't need that kind of negativity around me. <laughs> Amen to that. This is one of my favorite films. I mean, seriously. Really? One of my favorite Godzilla films, easily. Wow. I put it on the top ten list. Wow. That's amazing. When was the first time you saw it? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. It was one of those local video store finds that I was able to procure and watch to death. I was also able to obtain one of those many VHS tapes that got released by the half dozen or so publishing houses that put it out when it was uh, in the public domain for so long. Which I find fascinating. I had no idea until I started researching it for this episode that this movie, the VHS cut, was in, and for all I know, still is in the public domain. I don't really know how all that works regarding Toho and what rights they've asserted since then, because that VHS cut was not the original cut either uh, because of the dubbing and all that. So I, I don't know where it stands, but I found it fascinating. It was This was in the public domain. Yes, I'm actually uh, checking out right now. I'm seeing if they were able to actually release this with the Mystery Science Theater collections, if it was still in the public domain, or while they were trying to get stuff back for the Criterion edition, they had to give the rights back and haven't been able to reprint. Godzilla, Jet Jaguar, Megalon, all of them, they're under trademark to Toho. So, I mean, that, that never ends. That never expires. At least not in the same way. But in terms of like copyright, I find it fascinating that a VHS copy of this was in the public domain. And depending on when we are in Mystery Science Theater 3000's uh, growth or timeline, there was a period when the, all they were doing were public domain movies. But eventually they got enough of a budget to where they could start licensing films as well. I don't know if that could also be used to kind of determine the status of the copyright. Well, it doesn't look like they were able to get it back. They were able to make any of the... Uh in any of the collections. Okay. So that's the disc situation. Okay. Yeah, how do we tackle this? 
Where to start? I mean... Well, I know where I want to start. The Classic Five! For listeners who are just now joining us, don't remember, don't know, The Classic Five is a card game that we play here on the show. I've got a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? There are no wrong answers. We're going to do five of them. That's why we call it The Classic Five. Anthony, my friend, are we ready to play a round of The Classic Five? I'm ready for The Classic Five. All right, card number one. Who's been your favorite celebrity guest to meet at a horror or a monster convention? That would probably be George Takei. Yeah? I, uh, I met with George Takei at a comic book convention. I was getting a uh, signed photo for a friend, and he was very cordial and very willing to answer questions and stuff. And he seemed like the kind of guy you want to meet when you meet uh, the celebrities. You know, that they understand that, you know, some fans can be overzealous let's say but you know the rest of the community overall are are good people were you in your godzilla fandom at the time did you ask him about any dubbing he had done actually i was uh complimenting him on his work trying to work on the casting of akira trying to make sure that actually retained some of its original location and when there was talk of it of the setting becoming neo new york and i'm just like and i was like it was at the time I was trying to, I always, when I meet a celebrity, usually I'm more toward uh, looking at something they did minorly and, or recently and being like, well, oh, thank you so much for this recent thing you did instead of always going straight for the notoriety. But I should have complimented him on his work with the Godzilla dubbing. <laughs> right on. Now, I, of the remaining Star Trek guests that are still, or Star Trek stars that are still with us, he's one that I'd, I'd really like to meet. He seems like he'd be a really fun person to chat with and, he seems like a cool guy, you know? Oh, he is. All right, from the Kaiju deck, the Kaiju expansion, which Kaiju would make a good sports team mascot? Okay, good Kaiju. Oh. I want to say uh, Batra. We haven't had a good Batra, a bat-themed uh, team in a while, at least in Major League Baseball. And I just think that would be really good. Like the Baltimore Batras. I'd become a sports fan for that. Oh, yeah. I'd start watching that sports ball if that happened. <laughs> That'd just be fun to watch. I mean, I know they do kaiju in like a wrestling ring kind of setup, but now I want to see kaiju sports. Somebody get on that and make that happen. Not that wrestling's not a real sport, you know. I mean, yeah. I'm no, no, but just, you know, just, yeah. just saying. It placates better, you know, it, it pl- the kaiju genre has placated better to other genres than some. All right, card number three Mighty Joe Young or King Kong? I got to go with Kong. King Kong. The horror picture of all time. Don't let him get me. A beautiful girl torn from the arms of her lover by a jungle beast. King Kong. See a battle between prehistoric monsters on an island time forgot. A nightmare jungle creature from the primeval past stalking midnight streets. My baby. Baby! See the thrill classic of all time, the biggest gorilla picture ever made in motion picture history, the jungle epic that can never be duplicated. The RKO's original King Kong. King Kong. King Kong. The stop motion work is still, you know, it just. I know people will go after Mighty Joe Young because he's the underdog and just because you know everyone remembers King Kong, but. King Kong, for all its faults, you know, it did so much. You know, just the word Kong became synonymous with something huge and large. It 
put found itself into history and it influenced uh, the makers behind Godzilla thanks to the special effects work and stuff and it just Kong has to get his due. Well, Kong was the original. I mean, when it comes to those movies here in the states, and you're right, Kong definitely had an impact on uh, what eventually led to Godzilla for sure. You know, no Kong, no Godzilla is kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I agree. All right, card number four. What character from a classic monster movie would you like to hang out with for a day? Hmm. Good question. I think, if possible, I'd like to talk with uh, Doctor Mafune from. Terror of Mechagodzilla. Maybe if he had just like, you know, a sympathetic ear, you could have talked him out of, you know, joining with aliens so that Titanosaurus had to become a pawn and fight alongside Mecha King Ghidorah. But something tells me he'd still want to destroy all humanity. So, oh, well, you know, you can only give a sympathetic ear so much to somebody. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. All right. Final question. Final card. What earthbound monster would you want to see in an adventure set in outer space? Probably creature from the Black Lagoon. Really? Because bo- if your boy the creature went into outer space, you know, they'd probably have to make him a Abe Sapien style breathing suit and stuff. So he'd be just like in this ginormous like reverse diving bell suit, keeping all the water and stuff in. As long as he's kept in a good condition, he can survive in ways humans can't or something. Huh. And it would just be so cool to see that, you know, reverse diving bell suit that they would have to make for him to go into uh, space. You know, it's interesting because don't they even say at the beginning of that film during the mini science lessons about how it's important to learn how other species have learned to deal with, uh, you know, the pressures of being underwater or, or oxygen because, you know, man may even go into space one day and we'll have to learn how to deal in that harsh environment. So interesting. I believe so. Interesting. Huh. Now I want to see it too. It would have to be the Maria or the, yeah, the Maria. You know, I'd have to, and, and I want to have Captain Lucas as the space person in charge. I love it. I love a creature from the black hole. How about that? Um, there you go. <laughs> right on. Well, all right. Well, that was five questions. The classic five, man. We actually got it done without forgetting about it or tacking it on at the end. How's it feel? <laughs> Feels good. Feels good. Buried within the uncharted depths of waters surrounding a group of islands off the 50th parallel lies man's most formidable challenge. The awesome awakening of prehistoric monsters long thought extinct. Science was baffled and powerless. The terror-stricken humanity knew that it was on the brink of total destruction. The once proud civilization now had to place its trust and hope in Godzilla and his powerful ally, Robot Man. They would fight this evil in a duel to the death. Battling by day, battling by night. It was more than a race against time. This war was an all-out effort whose ultimate purpose was to save our planet from total destruction. Now came the moment of truth. The ultimate battle. against Titan, 
giant against giant in the most spectacular battle yet. To see it all in Godzilla versus Megalon. All right, well, let's keep those good vibes going by talking about, you know what? It's one of my favorite movies, too. Godzilla vs. Megalon. It's from the 1970s. came out in, what, 1973? Yep. But released here in the States in 76, theatrically, and then it had the TV run as well. Boy, this movie is filled with so much stock footage. Oh, yeah. So if you've seen any of the previous Godzilla movies, you've seen part of this movie. And not that that's a bad thing. I mean, they do that. They did that a lot. It is, except it just, you know, just sometimes... You know, when it was blatantly obvious it was bad. I mean, you know, the laser effects from previous films, I don't mind that as much because only if you watch these a couple dozen times, you start to notice. But still, it's showcasing destruction that way. You know, when it's uh, that they used uh, King Ghidorah's lightning for when they were doing Megalon, that's not so bad. There's a suspension of disbelief that, you know, these are different things happening. Now, the scene where Megalon is swatting the airplanes out of the sky and you can clearly see that it's Gigan's hook. Yeah. That's harder to enjoy. I see the, the error right there. It's blatant. For me, the most obvious one, and maybe it's because I find the scene and the, the way he kind of poses to be really ridiculous, but it's when Godzilla jumps off Monster Island into the water. That's from Hedorah. And I, I know... You know, it's kind of a, it's not really a big important scene. You know, it's not like a big fight scene or anything like that. But it's just so obvious because it just, Godzilla looks so absurd doing it. I don't know. There's just something about it that just rubs me wrong. Now, obviously, we have to keep in mind. Back then, people weren't watching these on DVD and Blu-ray and wasn't making a big TV run or anything like that. So it's not like people could watch all these movies and then go see the new one, you know, in the theater the next day. They had to wait a couple of years, and, and maybe in that downtime, people forgot, and it wasn't as obvious. But as modern fans, yeah, oh yeah. It's so hard not to see it. But again, I'm not complaining. I like the movie a no, lot. No, no, Well, you can't talk about the bad without talking about the good, you know? Exactly. And, you know, the restock is one of the bad parts. Now, counter it by talking about one of the good parts. I love me Jet Jaguar, man. I love me some Jet Jaguar. I wish there was more I Jet Jaguar. I was about Jaguar to say world. Jet Jaguar. I mean... Oh, I love this guy. So I mentioned it a little bit at the very beginning. And the story goes is that Toho was looking to do something new. It wasn't going to be a Godzilla movie. They put the call out. They did a contest for basically kids to submit their own monsters. And the one that was selected was what would become Jet Jaguar. It's not exactly what Jet Jaguar was. I actually found a YouTube video that showed uh, what it looked like when it was submitted. Yeah, so I, saw, I found it too. It's... Uh Red Arone. Yeah, and it's got like wings, and it's it's a monster. It's not a robot. It becomes Jet Jaguar once you take off the head and lose the wings. Yeah, the hands were monsters too, weren't they? I so yeah yeah. So basically, like the torso and the color scheme they kept right for the most part. A little less red. They he looks more orange. They put his reds on his cuffs more than like the whole body, Mm -hmm. and. Yeah, he was supposed to be the main attraction. Yeah, this wasn't going to be a Godzilla movie at all. No, I know that they uh, rearranged the head, and which we actually, I always think people say that, you know, it's the kid's fault that he looks more like Ultraman because the kid just designed an Ultraman knockoff. But frankly, you know, the body looks like Ultraman, but, you know, the head, which really seals the deal of it being close to Ultraman, that was the studio decision. Yeah, the original head design from the kid, and 
the kid does have a name. I just, I don't remember it and I'd probably mispronounce it, but it's in that YouTube video I saw. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes about it. The kid's head design was not an Ultraman knockoff. This head design was done by the studios when they did a little redesign to it. I think the head of Jet Jaguar looks pretty scary and terrifying. It doesn't look, <laughs> doesn't look friendly like Ultraman does to me. It looks almost demonic in some ways to me. And I mean, maybe that's part of the reason why I love it. It looks scary. It looks terrifying. That big grin, man. And uh, the light up eyes yeah. later. When he, uses, he just uses them as flashlights, which is, I don't know, just like, you know, when you're, an animal's eyes light up like that at the wrong angle, it looks creepy, you know? I mean, we both, <laughs> we are cat owners. And if that happens, just like, whoa, stop with the laser eyes there. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, you can only take pictures of your cats from so many angles before the flash lights up their eyes. And yeah, it looks terrifying or funny, but I mean, mostly terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, that head just, man, there's something about it. It is just creepy. Now, Toho got cold feet about putting out a Jet Jaguar movie, you know, unproven property, that sort of thing. So let's make it a Godzilla movie, too. And hey, let's throw Gigan into the mix as well. So we went from this movie that was going to be about two giant things fighting each other to four giant things fighting each other. I really wish they had stuck with just the two so we can get more Jet Jaguar action, but maybe if they had. We wouldn't see Jet Jaguar the way that we do now. You know, because it's a Godzilla movie, it gets released with a Criterion set, for example. A big chunk of the movie does turn into just like a, man, uh, uh, like a false Count Anywhere tornado tag match, you know, wrestling match at the end, where they're just all beating each other up. Yeah. That's one of my notes, actually. But it's such a great tag match. I mean, you know, it's a great tag team pairing. I mean, Gaigan shows up on the first thing he does is he and uh, Megalon do a claw five. I'm just like, and they're just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's kick his butt. And just, <laughs> then uh, Godzilla arrives to help out Jet Jaguar. And he shakes his hand like, thank you for coming to help me. I needed it. And there's a camaraderie <laughs> there like no other. It does feel like Saturday morning wrestling. At the same time, it's, it's the best parts of Saturday morning wrestling, you know? When you got two teams that you want, that you need to see uh, one take care of the other. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of pro wrestling. I think I've made that pretty clear. Uh, I try not to geek out too much about it here on the show or in various Monster Kid Radio outlets online, but I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I watch probably four to five hours of it a week um, just because I love it so much. But most of the time, I don't want to see that in my non-wrestling theme movies. In this case, however, I think it works just fine. It just adds to the fun for me. I enjoy it so much. And yeah, I know in previous films, Godzilla needed a little bit of convincing from somebody else like Mothra to work with somebody else to go do whatever and you get the cool little word bubbles or whatever. But in this one, when Jet Jaguar shows up, he's like, just pats his chest a little bit and does this come on kind of gesture and Godzilla's on his way. Let's go. You know, I love it. Um, so, yeah, when Toho decided to make this a Godzilla film, they had to do some rewrites. They didn't spend a lot of time rewriting it. They just kind of put it together. I think it still holds together fairly well, despite the fact there are no women characters who speak. The only time you see a woman is uh, the background dancers at Seatopia, who basically just spend all their time dancing. I would have maybe changed that a little bit, but just because I want some more representation. But beyond that, I think the movie holds together pretty well. Uh, it does start with a second round of atomic testing that's going on. And it, man, Monster Island can't catch a break, can it? No, it can't. 
<laughs> you got all the monsters on Monster Island reacting to uh, these bombs going off. I think Garrus falls into a crevice somewhere. You don't really see what happens to him, but he's running around screaming and Godzilla's freaking out. But that's the last time we really see Garrus in the film. I mean, it's basically just a cameo. And I wouldn't even be surprised if that was stock footage too, or previous footage from something else. No, I think that was newer because I don't remember that, like you said, the drop into the pit. That didn't seem like a familiar thing. It seemed uh, newer, maybe more comical in nature. That's true. This movie does kind of go a little toward the comedy side. This movie really kind of made Godzilla the, the goofy superhero-y type of monster we'd see in the later films throughout the rest of the Showa cycle. Right in the middle of uh, the fighting aliens arc, yeah. so to speak. Previous two films were Godzilla versus Hedorah, taking out an alien that uh, has the ability to absorb pollution. And the next one after that, Godzilla versus Gigan, directly ties in because we got Gigan coming in in this movie. Right. And then the next two after it are Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla and Terror Mechagodzilla. So, yeah, I basically have this arc where even though the four films of Gigan, Megalon, Mechagodzilla and Terror of are the ones take a different turn because these monsters have aliens controlling them. Yeah, that seemed to be a theme, didn't it? Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's something to be said for that. But interesting. Well, these atomic tests, these atomic blasts, they are disturbing the world of Seatopia, which is another one of these sunken civilizations like Atlantis or Mew or whatever. And they want the world to stop, so they unleash Megalon. This is Megalon's first appearance in any Godzilla films, right? First and only appearance. I kind of like him. I like the design of him, and I love his mouth. Oh, yeah. The way the mouth opens up is so cool. Apparently, he's the quickest done kaiju suit ever. It took him only a week to get him done. They did that in a week. Yes, but unfortunately, because it was a week... They did not get his eyes to move. Mm. His eyes were going to be movable. Wow. That sounds... Hmm. I didn't know it was only done in a week. That's fascinating to me. Because I think it's overall, it's a fairly decent design for a monster. I'm surprised that we didn't see more Megalon down the line. I mean, especially with the updates, he would have been great. Yeah. And you mentioned Gigan, you know, and we'll get to Gigan here in a little bit, but Gigan, this is a different Gigan suit because the previous Gigan suit didn't survive. Yep. They made some alterations. Uh, the buzzsaw blade in the stomach didn't work. Well, anyway, they've sent Megalon out, and now there's also this thing with Jet Jaguar, and he's this robot, and he's human size. And there's a couple of scientists uh, that, and are they brothers? Like, are they just friends? What's the relationship there? Did they ever really say? One calls the other senpai. Okay. So it's just his uh, old buddy from school, I guess. Goro, the inventor, and Hiroshi, who's a amateur racer, actually, because the nephew, Rokuro, actually mentions, uh, teases him out once he shows him the minibike. He's like, well, you're a racer. You should know about this stuff. It's like, I'm an amateur. That's right. And, yeah, that does come up. And it's his skill as a racer comes into play because he has to go on a couple car chases uh, throughout the course <laughs> of the movie. Yeah, he does. Including one that goes downstairs. I love that. I love oh, that. Yeah. That was just so fun. <laughs> Great scene. Yes, they're just really good friends. Wink. Yeah, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but uh, I suppose you could read that into it. In terms of uh, reading into it, I think uh, the Kaikyu community points to them specifically because if it's not Wink... 
It's a heck of a bromance. I've been involved in some bromances. I'm down with that. That's fine. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> now, going back to Seatopia, uh, yeah. which I gotta ask, am I supposed to now become the uh, ancient undersea civilization expert now in the show, too? Because <laughs> every time you come on, we did Atricon <laughs> the beginning of the year, and now we're here with Godzilla vs. Megalon and Seatopia. I mean, sure. I'd like to bring up uh, Robert Dunham as uh, Emperor Antonio of of Seatopia, uh, uh-huh. who, uh, of course, uh, fans of uh, other Toho films will know, was uh, Captain Martin in The Green Slime. Mm-hmm. And he actually is fluent in Japanese. That's him speaking Japanese. See, I wondered about that. Uh, when I watched this movie, I watched it with the subtitles. But when he first appeared on screen this time around, I switched over to the American track, the English track, to see if it was synced up. Because sometimes they'll mix the languages, right? Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if that was his real voice or not. But you're saying it is. He spoke fluid Japanese. Huh. He he looked real threatening as the Emperor of Sintopia. Emperor Antonio. <laughs> That's what the crowd. They never say his name, but just apparently what he's credited as uh, in the thing. This is the first time I knew it was Antonio, too. That's how he's listed online, too. Yeah, he's ruling the country of Seatopia, which, as a concept, I really like. That's another f- point in the good category. An advanced civilization, much like uh, what we had with Atragon and the Moo. But apparently, you know, they found a way to contact aliens because they can, you know, call Space Hunter Nebula M anytime they want and get Gigan on loan. And the aspects of that, especially because they're able to go to and from the surface when they need to, means that they've essentially reached out and are essentially a third faction with the grand fight over Earth. Because if you got the humans, if you get, you know, Godzilla and the good kaiju on one side, you got the aliens and the alien kaiju. You got a third set underground, technically of Earth, but they're willing to do what they can to help the aliens uh, teach the human race a lesson. Dang those surface dwellers. Right? They really don't like us, do they? Now, the one downside, though, of Seatopia, it's shown as a matte painting. I mean... We're like a couple months short of it being 10 years since Atragon. I know, I'm pretty sure Tsuburaya did not have any involvement in this. He actually died in January of 1970. So, okay. yeah, he, so, so I know his, he wasn't around for his modeling work, but still, I mean, couldn't you have just retinted the Atragon footage? I mean, if you're going to use so much stock footage, those Atragon miniatures, when we saw the Mu Empire, looked so good. Yeah. You know, show us the advanced micro-civilization. I'm right there with you. Instead, all we got is like the one chamber, throne room, dance hall, whatever it is, with uh, Emperor Antonio talking about what they're doing to the world. Now, they've sent agents up to get the robot, uh, to get what in some cuts of the movie referred to as Robot Man. Jet Jaguar, because they're going to use Jet Jaguar. I was hoping hoping you'd mention him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think even the trailer that I'm playing in this episode is going to call it Robot Man. I'd have to double check. Listeners will have known by now because I played the trailer at the beginning of the conversation. But if the trailer that I'm going to pull has it as Robot Man, man, that's that's wonderful. Um, Or not. (laughs) But they want Jet Jaguar because Jet Jaguar they're going to use to lead Megalon around as some sort of direct... Well, yeah, just... Directing his attack flow. 
because Megalon can't do it on his own? I mean, well, it's more of a, you know, making sure they go, you know, precise attacks. Megalon seems like he's not really a thinker style. <laughs> well, I don't know. He does, have, he, does some, he does some strategic stuff, but it's more like strategic combat, you know, more like over strategic locations. Mm. I guess they want to keep him on track. There you go. Which seemed odd to me. If the whole point is just to go up to planet Earth and wreck shop, does it really matter what direction you point them in? It's like, and this is probably a terrible example considering we're talking about Godzilla movies. How close do you really have to be if you're throwing a nuclear missile at somebody? Really? Close uh, counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and giant monster attacks. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I get you. I get you. But it does give us a reason to have Jet Jaguar. So, you know, I'm not going to complain too much. They've taken control of Jet Jaguar because they've broken into the home of the scientist and his little brother, which I love, by the way, that whole setup with the stairs going up. And then once you get inside that, whatever the heck it is, art display with the hanging cubes, there's just something cool about that, that whole setup, that whole layout. Heck, I have to find a new place to live anyway. If I could find a place like that to move into, I'd do it tomorrow. <laughs> it does look very unique in a, in the best way. Oh yeah. Like you said, you, you know, where can I sign up? You know, I want to move in there. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be fun. It'd be really cool. So they've taken over. There's a computer set up in there, and you know the Cetopians have broken in, and they now have access to Jet Jaguar. So they're using him for the purpose that they want to use him for. They're using him to guide Megalon to where he can do, I guess, the most destruction possible. There's a lot of chasing around. They really beat up the little kid. I was really surprised this time around. I don't know why it didn't sink into me before, but the little brother... This is the second time he's appeared in a Godzilla film, too, I believe, for the actor. Uh, the little brother, they really beat him up. I mean, they, they knock him out. They, they do all sorts of crazy stuff to him. Going back to the, you know, crazy physics of it, uh, Rokuro and Goro should have been dead when the oh yeah shipping container got, uh, you know, <laughs> palm tossed off of uh, Megalon's claw into the air. Yeah, he should have been dead. They both should have been paced at that point. Yes. But, you know, this movie, it was rated G when it was released here in the States, and it was designed to bring kids over, so they survive. It's, it's the uh, Indiana Jones in the refrigerator moment. They, they survive the, the fall. But yeah, they really beat that kid up, man. When the Cetopians break into the house, they knock him out. When do you knock a kid unconscious like that? You don't do that. Just, you don't. Especially because it's just like, isn't this a, the same kind of concentration of gas that you, that also knocks out the adult? Yeah. What's that going to do to the kid? Yeah. Put him in a coma for like uh, a solid week. Right. He does get his comeuppance later. I mean, he does have a moment where he can at least get one of them in a weird, almost home alone moment. He does get them later, but yeah, they, they beat up the kids. They take a couple of them hostage and we do have some of the hijinks. Like you said, you get the racing around and all that. And those scenes I actually found to be quite fun, quite thrilling, actually very well done. I really enjoyed those. Well, they're unique. Again, going back to the unique aspect of this, you know, what other Godzilla film has people racing around, on uh, stairs. It's great. I know they didn't spend a lot of time on the screenplay when they decided to make it a Godzilla movie. And maybe that is why this movie works so well for me is because there wasn't enough time for them to second guess themselves and say, wait a minute, this isn't really going to work, but nobody had that opportunity to make that correction. So they just went with it. There's a pureness to the storytelling fun here that I just adore. Amen to that. So 
they've lost control of Jet Jaguar, but that's okay because the head scientist has a little sonic device that he wears around his neck. It's a little necklace that as long as he has line of sight, he can use it to control Jet Jaguar. Why his personal line of sight matters for something mechanical that doesn't have a camera in it, Matt, I don't know. But he can have line of sight and control Jet Jaguar. And when he does, that's when it becomes a Godzilla movie because he tells him to go get Godzilla for help. And he does. <laughs> not, hey, come back here. Not, hey, let's coordinate with the military. Nothing like that. Go to Monster Island and get Godzilla. You know, I guess if you've got Godzilla in your back pocket, you're going to bring him in every chance you get. Let's point out the fact that, like, he programmed the robot with the destination of uh, Monster Island. He programmed him to know and recognize Godzilla. He programmed him to know how to do kaiju sign language. (laughs) To get him to know how to follow him. And... He then knew to return. No, 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 wait. The return one was, he said come back here, so I think that was a given. But still, steps there. (laughs) Steps there. The the one thing he didn't program Jet Jaguar to do, though, was to grow in size. And this line of dialogue in which the scientist says, oh, he must have programmed himself to get bigger, or whatever it is. That's the only way that's explained. There's no mention as to how that worked. It just, hey, he programmed himself to get bigger. All right. He's big now. He's Godzilla's size now. <laughs> he gained perfect sentience. Good for him. Yeah. Great. No, yeah. I, I, you know, I've seen a lot of movies of the 80s where the robots gain sentience, and the first thing they do is turn on us because we're bad. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not the best creatures on the planet, and the robots think they have a better idea. If that happened... And Jet Jaguar is now Godzilla's size and now has his own mind. I'd be terrified. Shh. Don't be giving Jet Jaguar any ideas, man. Come on. <laughs> I mean, it's a bad year. The last thing we need is a giant robot uh, tearing around the place. Yeah, I'd be par for the course, man. It really would. Well, the Cetopians don't want their champion, Megalon, to be outnumbered. So they make a call and get Gigan to show up. Um, sure. But once it happens, you know, once all four monsters are together, this has some of, like, the best, most inventive fights ever. It really does. It even has some interesting callbacks. When Godzilla pulls up the tree, roots and all, and uses it as a weapon, it instantly makes me think of King Kong versus Godzilla, where it was done to him. And I thought that, I don't know if that was an intentional thing. I don't know if somebody was getting lazy and thought, hey, well, they did it that way, whatever. But I thought it was a neat little callback. That's a neat callback, and then some of the other things are just minor, but inventive. I mean, Gigan taking Jet Jaguar as a hostage, Jet Jaguar knowing to get rid of the explosive ball that's right by Godzilla's head so it doesn't do more damage. Yep. The Ring of Fire. That was crazy. It was awesome. Oh, it was, yeah. It was nuts. Um, I would have been in, I want to echo the thoughts of, the person who made the YouTube video that I watched right before we started recording, I would have been terrified if I was in the Jaguar suit or even the Godzilla suit, really, to be in that ring of fire. And I've seen some Inferno wrestling matches, okay? That looked scary. <laughs> but still, it was, it was so... It was there. It was good. Oh, it was, it was good. really good. I'm not saying it wasn't, man. It was good. Oh, we're not saying it at all. It's just... I mean, we're, if anything, we're trying to be on the defense here, you oh, know, yeah. for those people that want to write this off as it being too goofy. I don't agree with that at all. I think 
it has so much to offer, including that final scene that it does tend to go on a little long. They probably could have trimmed it a little bit and it probably was what was trimmed when it was cut down to an hour. The fight scene just goes on and on and on, but I didn't have a problem with it being that long because you got to see some cool stuff up to and including Jet Jaguar finally having enough and just breaking Gigan's arms. What? You know, I mean, no, we're wrestling and all that, you know, and we're, we're beating each other up and yeah, they're trying to hurt each other, but that was pretty brutal. Well, you know, in fairness, uh, Gigan previously, you know, had a saw blade on his chest that he let Ingeris, uh, you know, jump right into. So I'm not defending. You know, I'm not saying they should no, have no, done no, it. No. He had it coming. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had it coming for sure. And I mean, earlier in the movie too, I mean, I guess there's some, even some blood, you see Godzilla bleed a little bit. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that home alone moment with the kid. They, he does in this really random scene, the kid and his brother break into a model airplane shop and steal a model airplane because they're going to use that to take over the scientist's house back from the Seatopians. And he flies it into the Seatopian agent's face and it bloodies him there. So you do get a little bit of blood there and a little bit of blood with the Godzilla thing. But it's just the way he breaks his arms is just so brutal. And it made me cringe, even though he's a bad guy. And, you know, again, in a good way. It's just like, whoa. Totally. Dude. Yeah, you're done messing around now. Granted, you probably should have started the fight with that, but I'm, you're done messing around now, I can tell. <laughs> oh, and, and that happens right before the infamous uh, power kick. That's... <laughs> putting that on the bad list. That's, on, that's one under the bad category. I mean, they were obviously were trying to recreate Ingress's shell tackle from Godzilla vs. Gigan, where Godzilla held uh, King Ghidorah, and then Ingress jumps bike shell first right into his stomach and to repeat that they had Godzilla do a flying kick just <laughs> runs up and then just he's parallel to the earth and bam it just uh, okay oh man it was um, it's a thing of beauty it happens twice and it's one of the very first thing that pops up whenever I'm on Facebook and using Facebook Messenger to send a message to somebody and I do a search for an animated GIF for Godzilla. It's one of the very first things that comes up on my search. So, you know what? It's made my life better in that way, I suppose. Oh, man. It is so ridiculous. I don't know what the thought process there was other than, you know, maybe the same thought process that led to Godzilla being able to fly in one of the movies where he turns around and uses his breath weapon to fly around, which is also pretty ridiculous. But, I mean, it gave us a fighting moon we've never seen before, right? Absolutely. Maybe there's a reason for that, but we did see <laughs> something new. Oh, boy. Well, obviously our guys win. We, we wouldn't be talking about this movie in the same way if Godzilla and Jet Jaguar didn't win. And... You know, Godzilla goes back to Monster Island, Jet Jaguar gets small again, and we get one of the best elements of any Godzilla soundtrack ever. The theme song. Punch, punch, punch. <laughs> punch, punch. Oh, man. So good. Oh, so good. Yeah. Uh, and they're just walking on the beach, just hanging out. It's like this end of the movie credit march. They're just kind of walking down the beach, having a good time. Jet Jaguar picks up the kid and puts him on his shoulders. They're just all hanging out, all good buddies. It's wonderful. It's good times. It really is. 
so good that it makes me so sad that we didn't get any more Jet Jaguar in the future from Toho. I know Jet Jaguar would show up in the comics in a video game or two, but man, not even the one Godzilla movie that everybody says they hate that has all the monsters in it references this movie. You're thinking of Final Wars. Yeah. Even Final Wars doesn't have Megalon or Jet Jaguar mentioned anywhere. And that one has you know, the American Godzilla in it, for crying out loud. So why not? I, w- I would have loved to see more. They brought back Gigan, and his new redesign was like one of the best reasons to watch uh, Godzilla Final Wars, because he looks truly menacing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have liked to see a little bit more uh, Jaguar in the world. I, it's crazy to me that a monster, for lack of a better term, or kaiju, or robot design, that unique never got any more action anywhere. It just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Maybe because they went with, instead of giving him the TV series, they, of course, made Zone Fighter. Right, that's right. Yeah, I guess, uh, Megalon, did Megalon show up on Zone yeah. Fighter? Okay. I've, yet, I've only seen a couple clips of Zone Fighter. Zone Fighter was one of the TV shows that Toho was involved with, and it only lasted like a year, didn't it? Yeah, absolute uh, Ultraman knockoff. Yeah, I didn't do nearly as well as Ultraman or even was Common Rider a thing at that point? Yes. So, and Common Rider, of course, has a legacy as well. And you're a huge Common Rider fan. One of these days, I need to watch all that. And then, of course, we got Mark Matsky doing the Ultraman and Ultra Q reviews here on the show now. So, we get a little bit of that here on the show. But Zone Fighter, I need to look at. And Common Rider, for sure. But yeah, I guess Godzilla showed up on Zone Fighter as well. And, and Megalon gets killed there. And maybe that's why. You know, and also, I wonder depending on what kind of rights they signed or, or they acquired from the kid when he submitted the original design that eventually became Jet Jaguar, maybe that's part of the reason why they never made any other movies, if there was a legal thing. But I can't imagine Toho didn't have the money to just flat out buy the rights or buy the kid off. You'd think so, at least. Yeah, who knows? I love Jet Jaguar, though. And I, I think the legacy of this movie, partly because of Mystery Science Theater, partly because it was released on television with John Belushi, partly because it had a, a relatively decent theatrical run here you know coming out around the same time as king kong in 76 it sticks now, now looking at the wikipedia though it says megalon didn't show up in zone fighter it was king Ghidorah and gigan oh gigan okay was i mixing them up okay yeah yeah i knew one of them showed up but then of course yeah godzilla shows up there too yeah i mean for for a, a one-off jet jaguar sticks man I, I don't know why that is i don't know if it's because of the design the color the music i don't know why but Jet Jaguar has a legacy. He does, and he deserves more respect, I think, than a lot of fans are give him at the beginning. You know, the first thing they think of is Ultraman knockoff, but just like he is more than an Ultraman knockoff. He really is. He's his own robot. Yeah, I don't even see an Ultraman knockoff in there. It's just the, it's the design and the growth feature. It, it's those aspects. You know, even the growth feature, though, Ultraman for the most part, has always been big. Every once in a while, he goes small. But even in the most recent series of Ultraman, when he goes small, and Ultraman, is, is it Z? That's the one that yep. we're doing right now? When he goes small, they make a comment about how it's really hard for him to do that. It takes so much power and energy. So even then, I, I just don't see it. But maybe that's just me coming to the defense of my boy, Jet Jaguar. It, it all depends when they want to uh, use it. Yeah. Sometimes it's got a time limit, other times it doesn't. I'm actually watching Ultra 7 right now, and he it happens whenever he feels like, basically. There's a lot of things. I need to be big, kind of... I need to be small. You know, he was also an Ultraman that, that didn't have a color timer. 
because he was just uh, that's right. That awesome, he's one of the. He was just that awesome of a fighter. I need to go back and rewatch Ultra Seven. I'm in the first disc right now, and it's it's good things. Yeah, I'm, I'm going through a rewatch of Ultra Q right now. I've been watching it with uh, Mark when he does the beta capsule reviews of Ultra Q and Ultra Seven, or Ultraman and all that. I've been going through and. Right before I listen to his latest installment, I go back and rewatch the Ultra Q, just so I can mm-hmm. have it fresh in my mind. And be like, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like it because you know I love me some Ultra Q. And I, I finished can- it actually, and it was it was great. Yeah, isn't it awesome? Oh yeah, so cool. Uh, back to Godzilla versus Megalon. Um, I know we did a real brief overview of the story here. It's not not too in depth. It's pretty easy, pretty basic. Was there anything that you wanted to make sure we talked about though before we start wrapping up? I guess. Uh- Wrap up with a uh, shout out to uh, the music man of this work. We've got Richiro uh, Manabe uh, coming back previously of Godzilla vs. Hidora, who also, I'm pretty sure you did a podcast on uh, Lake of Dracula, didn't you? Yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. So yeah, he did the Lake of Dracula uh, music as well. Okay. He's a veteran. He has a way of mixing between very lighthearted and very intense moments pretty well. But I will admit that the comical moments do stick out a bit. They, they do. And some of the Hedorah music does kind of make a reappearance in this. And this is something else that was mentioned in the video that I just watched, that instead of the Afukabe score being reused for the Godzilla March, you get the Hedorah music, and it doesn't have the same gravitas but it's still not bad i mean i'll take any godzilla music i think somebody i like pizza and it's hard to um even if it's a bad pizza you're still gonna like it because it's pizza and i kind of feel that way about some of the godzilla music that i don't necessarily really enjoy it's still godzilla music so i'm still down you know what i mean Uh i know exactly what you mean so maybe pizza's not the best uh (laughs) um comparison but you know it's something like you know it's still godzilla music i still gotta love it i got you yeah we got the music here we've got a couple of returning players only time the godzilla suit actor wore the godzilla suit if i understood correctly i'm not sure why that was do you have any insight on that uh what do you mean by uh like like why he only did it the one time no i i think unfortunately it's uh the one-shots don't uh, get as much time as the guys that are legendary. Yeah. So, and this isn't a Yoshimitsu uh, Bano situation with uh, Godzilla versus Hedorah where, you know, they, they tried. He tried to get a Godzilla sequel going for the longest. I mean, a Godzilla versus Hedorah sequel going for the longest. They just didn't, unfortunately, because he didn't work, uh, it didn't work as well. They didn't want him back. At least I'm, that's what I'm guessing. Yeah, that's what I've you know, also understood. Yeah. So, but as uh, the, as Godzilla himself, why didn't why didn't uh, Shinji Takagi not come back? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I, I didn't really hear why he only did one film. Yeah, and having not been to things like G Fest or any of those other conventions, I don't know if he's somebody that turns up at these things. If he's somebody who's been asked about this. So I'd be real curious to know if anybody has any insight on that. I'd love to know, but I'm glad we watched it, man. I'm so glad that this movie exists and this movie's out there. Cause it's just, it's just fun, man. You want to have fun with a Godzilla movie? This is the one you put in. Amen to that. You know, 
So highly recommended from me and Anthony here. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to the Criterion set. Is that how you watch it? It was on the Criterion box set? Oh, yeah. It's awesome, isn't it? It was the uh, last big purchase I made before everything started happening here on my end, and I am so glad I have it. So glad. It's so good. <laughs> so highly recommended if you can get your hands on it. Uh, listeners, you are doing yourself a favor if you can pick it up. Uh, like I said, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that as well through the affiliate link that we have for uh, Monster Kid Radio. Now, I did find out that there, when I type in Shinji Takagi, there is an associate professor of economics at the University of Osaka with the same name. Now, <laughs> you think that's him? I'm not, I'm not saying that he decided instead of acting to pursue a goal as a <laughs> senior economist at the Institute of Fiscal and Monetary Policy at the Japanese Ministry of Finances. Uh-huh. But I'm not not saying it until I'm proven wrong. <laughs> well, that sounds like we need to start sending some people some emails. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, um, did you ever tag team with Jet Jaguar? Oh, man. That's the best subject line ever. Subject, did you ever tag team with Jet Jaguar? Oh, please blind CC me on that email. <laughs> I want to I see how that goes down. <laughs> no, no. Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. The green slime! are here! Pounding across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera the Invincible. Gamera, consuming raw atomic power. Power to destroy entire cities. Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera the Invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against Gamera the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the Invincible. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for sticking around and tagging along this week as we talked about this 1973-1976 weird kaijin movie. It was a lot of fun to talk with Anthony about it and put that whole thing together for you guys and gals. It was also a lot of fun to put together the Dr. Tongue segment 
Kenny's segment and Mark's segment. I'll make sure there are links to all of their projects and such in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. In fact, this is where you're going to want to go to learn everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between podcasts or even while you listen. Our contact information is over there. Links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and our Twitter. It's right over there. Our Patreon campaign you can get to from over there. You can help support the show through Patreon by becoming a patron and get yourself some cool rewards along the way. In fact, some of you guys and gals who are patrons of a certain level are entitled and invited to join the Monster Kid Radio Discord server. If you are not part of the Discord server and you'd like to be, and you are a patron at the right level, drop me a line at monsterkidradio at gmail.com because I need to send you an invite to make that happen. Unfortunately, the invite only lasts a day, so I can't just send it out on Patreon and then if you follow it three days later, it's going to be day. Just drop me a line. Anyway, something else that you would normally find on our website is an announcement about what's coming up next week. The past several weeks, I've been kind of lax there, not really knowing what's coming up. Well, this time I can tell you next week, we are talking about a Bela Lugosi movie. I am really excited to talk about Bela here on the show. He's one of the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio. The movie is called My Son, the Vampire, also known as Mother Riley Meets the Vampire. And we'll be discussing this movie with friend of the show, Taylor Gentry, who happens to be a close personal friend of Count Drahoon from Count Drahoon's feature of Fright. So that's coming up next week. Stay tuned for that. You don't have to do anything if you're already subscribed to the show. You're just going to get it next week. If you are just listening to the show for the very first time, please subscribe to the show. And wherever you're listening to the show, downloading the show, please consider giving us an honest review, whether that's the iTunes store or anywhere else you've downloaded Monster Kid Radio. Also, please share the Monster Kid love. We'd love to get more listeners, more people involved in what we do here. Now, we have the streams to talk about. Twice a week, we are showing movies through Twitch, and I've been experimenting a little bit and streaming them on Facebook as well. This is something that's completely free. There's a live chat going on, lots of interaction, lots of fun, classic monster movies, classic sci-fi movies. This Saturday, starting at 11 a.m. Pacific time, the pre-show begins for this week's Monster Kid Movie Club, and then around noon is when the movies themselves actually start. Again, this is all Pacific time, and it's going to go to at least 7 o'clock, if not later, and some of the movies that you're going to see are things like Haxon, which is a silent film. We're going to be showing a movie called... Well, it's got a number of different titles. One of them is The Flesh and the Fiends. It's got Peter Cushing. You don't want to miss that. We have a short independent film called Meet Your Maker. We're showing Giant from the Unknown and a couple of chapters from the Bela Lugosi. There he is again. Bela Lugosi serial, The Return of Chandu. I'm sure there's going to be a few other things that I try to sneak in there as well. So make sure you head on over to monsterkidmovie.club this Saturday. And then on Tuesday, the Monster Kid Astronomy Club happens. That starts at around 3.30 p.m., again, Pacific time with a pre-show, with the movie starting at 4 p.m. And we only show a couple of movies then. Stay tuned. I'll mention it at least on Facebook and on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. At least it is for me, and I assume it is for everybody else who comes by and joins us. So bring your friends, bring your popcorn, and get ready to talk, because this is one time that we encourage you to chat it up while the movie's playing. So that's Saturday and Tuesday, and then, of course, the next Wednesday night, Thursday morning, we've got the next episode of Monster Kid Radio, and who knows what else, all sorts of other fun stuff is happening 
Like reminding you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Downshifting. That is copyright 2020, the Jet Jaguars. You can find it on their album, Death Chase, over at jetjaguars.bandcamp.com. Seven euros, seven tracks. You can't beat that. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you when you check them out. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Punch, punch, punch! Punch, punch, punch! Ciao.